You're listening to the Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church, where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Hey, again, I'm really excited about tonight. Tonight we're going to dive into an aspect of the gospel that I'm not sure we talk about all that often. You see, so far we've covered some really important topics. Like week one, we took time to just kind of start with what is the gospel. Probably a good place to start if you're doing a series on the gospels. Let's talk about what it is. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. And we took some time to just talk about this storyline of the Bible and how it introduces us to a God who loves us beyond compare and a God who pursues us even whenever we run from him and a God who loves us so much that he gave himself up for us so that we could be brought back into right relationship with God. From there, we went to talking about how the gospel shapes our identity and how we are meant to view ourselves in light of the gospel, that we can walk in forgiveness, that we can walk in freedom, that we can walk in love, that God has invited us into something new. And then last week, we took some time to talk about how the gospel influences the way that we pursue community and how we interact with one another. And we talked about this idea that the gospel, that it unites us to God, but it also unites us to one another, that we are members of one another through the gospel Of Jesus Christ. So in a way, you could say this, that so far we've seen how the gospel impacts three key relationships. First and foremost, your relationship with God. Secondly, your relationship with yourself. And thirdly, your relationship with your fellow believers. And tonight, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about a relationship per se, but I want to talk about how the gospel impacts our pursuits, the things we choose to pursue in our daily lives. And I'm not just talking about the small things like trying to find the shortest line on game day so you can get your spot in the student section or trying to get to Bolton before the lunch. I'm not talking about like small, trivial pursuits like that that are here in a moment and gone the next. I'm talking about the deep, deep desires of our hearts, what we give our time, our attention, our effort to what we believe will bring us value, significance, and meaning. I want to talk about how the gospel influences that, how the gospel impacts that. This is an important thing for us to discuss because if we don't take the time to evaluate our motivations, to evaluate our pursuits, we can often end up chasing the wrong thing. So tonight what I want to do is I just want to examine this passage of scripture that Chandler read for us a few moments ago in which the disciples of Jesus are chasing after the wrong thing. They're pursuing the wrong thing. And Jesus himself speaks into their motivations. He speaks into their pursuits and he begins to point them in the right direction. And my hope for you tonight is very simple. My hope for you is that as we walk through this story together, that God may begin to reveal just things in your heart that may be off. And he begin to show you ways in which you may be chasing the wrong thing. And he would begin to correct you as well and point you in the right direction. So let's look at this story together. Join me in Matthew chapter 18. We're just going to talk about this and, and unpack this story. Like Chandler read a moment ago, this story opens up with the disciples coming to Jesus with a question. And that question is this. They come to Jesus and say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's Matthew 18, verse 1. The disciples come. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if we're just jumping into this in Matthew chapter 18, and you don't understand the context, and you don't understand everything that is going on in this moment, what you might not realize is that we come to this moment, and it opens up in a not-so-uncommon occurrence in the life of the disciples, that we catch the disciples 
mid-argument with one another. And they're typical of the disciples, they're arguing with one another and they're coming to Jesus to solve their debate. Perhaps you have some experience with this. You get into an argument with your friend and you're just going at each other about whatever. And you're convinced that you're right. They're convinced that they're right. And so you go to a third party and you ask, hey, what, what do you think about this? Right? Like that's kind of what the disciples are doing in this moment. They come to Jesus. But the argument that the disciples are having is about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I don't want you to miss this, because what's happening in this moment is that these are grown men that are arguing about who among them is the best. That's what's happening in this moment. These grown men are arguing about who is most important, who's the MVP of the disciples, who's the goat of the disciples. That's what they're arguing about. Who's the goat? Is it Peter? Is it James? Is it John? And they're going back and forth. I, just, I, just, I love to picture this moment. Like, I love the picture of just Peter, like, speaking up and be like, I don't know, guys. I walked on water. Like, I, I think I'm the greatest. And John's over here like, no, but I'm the disciple that Jesus loved, right? You can read about it in the gospel that I wrote about myself, right? Like, and I just, I like to picture these moments that are just going back and forth. It's unbelievable to picture a scene like this. Grown men arguing about which among them is the greatest. We would expect more from these disciples of Jesus who have literally seen Jesus do the miraculous, Yet here we see grown men arguing about who's the greatest and who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And here's the deal. It's easy for us sitting in this room in this context right now to read this story and point fingers at it and poke fun at the disciples and think, how in the world could you do something so petty and so incredibly stupid? But as you begin to dig a little deeper here, you realize that the disciples are pursuing the same thing. That they're all pursuing position that they want status, they want prestige, they want prominence, they want to be seen as important in the eyes of Jesus, but also in the eyes of those around them. You see, what you need to understand about the disciples is that these are men who had waited for the Messiah for years. They had been told ever since they could remember about a day that was coming when a savior would come and would redeem their people and would establish a new kingdom. And now here he is. Jesus has arrived. And these men believe that he's the savior. He's the Messiah. He's the one who is to come. And they've been, he's the one that they've been waiting for. And they're excited about this moment. They've left everything to follow him. But the question that's on their mind is a little bit of a selfish one. And they want to know, Who's going to be given a position of prominence? Who's going to be given a position of importance? Who's going to be given a position of significance? They're pursuing position, believing that in that position that they will be seen as significant, valuable, and important. And whenever you see that, whenever you see their motivations there, you begin to realize that we're all a little bit more like the disciples than we care to admit, right? Like we too pursue position. We too want to be seen as valuable, seen as significant, seen as important in the eyes of others, so we pursue it with everything that we have. And this can look differently depending on the different people, depending on just the natural inclinations of your heart. We pursue position differently. It can look like chasing after academic success. That's what it can look like that. It can look like believing that if you do well in school, that you'll be seen as significant in the eyes of your family, in the eyes of your professors, in the eyes of your future employer. So you drive yourself past the point of exhaustion, all in pursuit of a grade, because you believe that grade will give you validation. That grade will give you value. That grade will give you significance. So you pursue it. 
It can look like chasing after, cultivating an image that you want to have all the nicest things. You want to be clothed in all the nicest clothes. You want to have the newest iPhone, the best looking car, because you want to project an image of yourself to those around you as one who has everything together, as one who is important, as one who is valuable. It can look like pursuing a relationship status, right? Like that you want so badly to be in a dating relationship and you tell yourself that it's for all the right reasons, but if you're honest with yourself that you're really pursuing a relationship with someone because you believe that your life doesn't have as much significance and value unless you're invested in a relationship with another. And so you chase value, significance, and importance in the arms of another. It can take on all kinds of different directions, pursuing position, believing that a position will bring us significance and value. I remember not too long ago in my life, right after I graduated college, I wasn't much older than some of you are now, I really began to battle this personally. I began to just struggle with feeling a sense of value, feeling a sense of significance. Because you see, I lived with a group of guys who graduated college and who went on to do some really impressive things. Like I live with three dudes who all went on to do really impressive things, one of which got a job in Washington, D.C. and was like rubbing shoulders with really powerful people and doing things that I don't really understand. Another one of my friends graduated, got his master's, and got his Ph.D. all before he was 26 and then got a job at Emory in a lab doing stuff that I definitely don't understand. And then the third of my roommates, who's two years younger than me, graduated and then went on to medical school and was pursuing being a doctor. And there I was, and you want to know what I was doing post-graduation? I was working part-time as a barista and as a volunteer youth minister. Like, that's what I was doing, all right? And that was, it's funny to look back on that now, but if I'm honest with you guys, like, I, I let that get in my head a little bit. And I started to feel insecure, and I started to feel inadequate, and I started to feel insignificant. And I believed the lie that, that many of us, are tempted to believe, right, that, that I needed a better position to bring me value, to bring me significance, and so I chased after it. And I pursued a different job. I left the coffee world to pursue a business job just because it offered more money, it offered more upward mobility, and I thought that in that I would find significance. And I'll come back to that story in a moment, but what you need to understand is I was pursuing position. And we're all guilty of that. That's what we see the disciples doing here. There is a desire in them to live a life of significance, of greatness, of value. And so they pursue position, status, and prestige. They chase after it with all they have, even willing to cut one another down to grab at a position that they think will bring them significance. And we're all tempted to do the same thing. That this is the crowd of people that Jesus had surrounded himself with and they come to him thinking that he's going to solve their argument and point to one of them and say, it's you. But instead, Jesus does something completely different. And I love the response of Jesus here that they come to him with this absolutely ludicrous and petty question and he does something that none of them would have expected. And he calls a child to him. And he puts the child in the midst of him, he says, truly I say to you, unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I love this response from Jesus. And I want you to notice several things. The first thing that I want you to notice is I want you to notice what Jesus didn't do in this moment. Like Jesus doesn't come down on them 
He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't yell at them. And be like, Who, who's the greatest? I, I'm the greatest, right? Like that would have been the right answer. Like who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Perhaps the king, right? Like that would be the logical answer to that question. Jesus is the greatest, but he doesn't come down on them. He's not harsh with them. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't insist on being right in this moment, but instead he uses this moment to lovingly correct them. What I want you to also notice is that he doesn't even rebuke their desire. He doesn't tell them that it's a bad thing that they want to live a life of greatness and significance. He just tells them that they're looking for it in the wrong place, that they're headed in the wrong direction. I want you to notice the language here. The language here matters. He says to them, there's three really important words. He says, unless you turn. Unless you turn, if you're a person that underlines in your Bible or highlights, I'd highlight those three words. Unless you turn and become like this child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what we see in Jesus is that there's no talk about the wrong desire. There's no talk about heading in the wrong direction. Jesus doesn't correct their desire. He corrects their direction. It'd be like if you came up to me after this was over and you told me that you wanted to join the crew that always goes to cookout on Wednesdays after Prince College Nights, that you wanted to meet some cool people and you wanted to take advantage of the fact that you could eat a relatively large meal for a relatively small amount of money and that you wanted to go to cookout and hang out with those people. And I'd be like, great, that's a great desire. And then I watched you get into your vehicle and you went out of our main entrance and you turned left onto Highway 78. I'd be like, hey, it's a great desire, totally wrong direction right? And no matter how good your desire is, you're never going to get that way if you keep heading in that direction. And you would need someone to come alongside you and tell you, hey, maybe you should turn around and head the right way. That's what Jesus is doing here. It's as if he's saying to them, hey, your desire for a life of significance, for a life of value to experience true greatness, that's a good desire. But you're looking for it in the wrong place. You're heading in the wrong direction and you'll never find it by pursuing position. And so the natural question that comes from that is, okay, if I, if I won't find it in pursuing position, then how do I find it? If it's a good desire and I won't find it in pursuing position, then how do I find it? To which Jesus points to a small child. And this is where we see the gospel implications begin to surface. Because I want you to think about this with me. Think about what it is that Jesus is trying to communicate. But in a moment where a bunch of grown men are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom, that Jesus motions for a small child. So I was studying this week, I kind of dug into the original language there, and the word for child actually means, in the Greek, it's very specific, it means a small child. So you can picture like a toddler, right? Like we're not talking about a teenager, we're talking about a toddler. He brings a toddler into the circle, and he says, hey, unless you become like him, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Forget about greatness. Like, if you're not like him, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what could Jesus be trying to communicate here? Think about this with me. Consider the child. Like, do you think that this child who comes to the middle of this circle is concerned about his position as it relates to the disciples? Do you think he's worried about who's greater, him or the disciples? Like, do you think that he's kind of like throwing his hat into the ring and being like, hey, Peter, I know you walked on water, but hey, I, 
I didn't wet the bed last night, so what's up? Who's the greatest now? Like, do you think that's what's happening? No, that's not what's happening in this moment. Small children, they don't pursue position, value, or significance. A small child who has been well-loved by his or her parents won't chase position or status. They will simply delight in the position that has been afforded to them as a child of their parents. That's what good, like well-loved children do. One of my favorite things about this church is the multi-generational aspect. You will hear us talk about that a lot here. I love that on Sunday mornings, I can look out and I can see a ton of you worshiping Jesus. But I love that I can scan the room and also see the older generation worshiping Jesus. And I love that we have a bunch of young families with small children. And one of my favorite things about Sunday mornings is after the service is over, just watching the kids just run and play in the worship center. Like, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but there's something that is just so beautiful about watching a child who is well-loved just run carefree and play and enjoy the moment that they are in, right? That there's not a worry about what's for lunch. There's not a worry about what others in the room may think of them. There's not a worry about who the most important person in the room is. There's just a joy that comes from knowing that they're cared for, knowing that they're loved, knowing that they're safe, knowing that they're free, This is what Jesus is trying to show his disciples. This is the heart of Jesus here. Hey, he's saying, hey, you're burdened and you're worried because you're pursuing position. You're trying to find value, significance, and importance, and greatness in the eyes of others. And that desire, that pursuit, it's consuming you. It's bringing you all kinds of anxiety, stress, and turmoil. And I want you to know that you can let it go, that you can have freedom like this child. Because just like this child is well-loved, cared for, and provided for, so are you. This is the heart of Jesus in this passage. This is what we see him communicating. What we see Jesus just saying to his disciples, it points us to a truth tonight. And I'm just going to, this is one of our main points that's going to be behind me on the screens. The world will say that your pursuit determines your position. But the gospel says your position determines your pursuit. The world will say that your pursuit determines your position, but the gospel will say that your position determines your pursuit. You see, the world we live in will say that if you want value, if you want significance, if you want greatness, then you've got to go after it. You've got to make something of yourself. You've got to pursue it, work hard, go after the things that will make you a person of importance and significance. Chase the titles, chase the status, chase the acclaim, and your pursuit will lead to position, and that position will lead to significance and value. That's what the world preaches. This message is preached to you from all angles and culture. As a college student, I know that this message is preached to you. It's preached to you even from the very university that many of you attend. Come to this university, work hard, get the degree, and a degree from this university will award you all kinds of significance and value. It will get you that job that you want, that will lead you to the income that you want, one of significance, value, and greatness. Come to the University of Georgia, pursue position, pursue pursue personal greatness. We see it all over culture today. We see it in things like social media, right? And I don't want to be the guy that hates on social media, but the very premise of social media is to cultivate an image of yourself to portray to the world. And that image will literally be judged by the amount of likes, views, or engagements that it receives. And the better the image, the better the reception, the more prominence, the higher the significance. Come to the world of social media. Pursue position, pursue status, pursue personal greatness. It's everywhere. Culture will tell you that if your pursuit will determine your position, and your position will determine your significance. But the gospel, the gospel says something completely different. The gospel says the exact opposite. 
The gospel says that you are born with inherent significance. We talked about this in week one, that you were born in the image of God and you have significance, value, and importance, not because of anything that you have done, not because of anything that you have accomplished, not because of any image that you have cultivated, but because of whose image is upon you, because the God of the universe loves you and desires relationship with you. You have significance. But the gospel goes even further than that, and it says that even though we have all run and strayed from God, chased after our own pursuits, rebelled against God, that he has continually pursued us, and in our rebellion and in our disobedience and in our apathy, the God of the universe has pursued you. That's what the gospel says, that he sent his son, God in flesh, to come to earth to pursue his beloved, and he loved us so much that he gave himself up for us, dying a death on the cross so that our penalty could be paid for. He gave up his life to pay the price for our wrongdoing. That Jesus Christ, the gospel says that Jesus Christ took our position of condemnation so that we could receive his position of acceptance, love, significance, and provision. And that three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating the powers of sin and shame, conquering the powers of death and darkness, and he has invited us into something new. And the gospel says that anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, that they can be invited into the family of God. 1 John 3.1 talks about this idea. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's good news. That's the gospel that you and I, broken people, people who have rebelled, people who have run from God, people who have been apathetic towards God, people who have pursued our own desires, that we have the opportunity to be called children of God through the power of the gospel. This is good news. I want you to consider all the implications. It means that if you have believed the gospel, if you belong to Jesus, then you are already loved. That you're never going to be more loved by God than you are right now. That's what the gospel says of you. That you have been accepted by him because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That you don't have to earn acceptance, you already have it. That no work done by you could ever earn this position and no work ever done by you could ever take it away. Both of those things are important. No work ever done by you could ever earn you this position, but no work done by you could ever take it away. That this is not a position that has been influenced by your own effort. This is not a position that has been influenced by your circumstances. It's not a position that is here today and gone tomorrow. This is a position that has been secured for you for all eternity because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That in Christ Jesus, God the Father has pursued you. He has done the pursuing. He has made himself known. He has sacrificed for you so that you could receive this position, child of the one true king. And that position should determine your pursuit, not the other way around. And what I mean by that is that position should determine the way that you live, that you don't live your life trying to earn or to prove that you live your life like a dearly loved child from a place of security, acceptance, and love, and provision all from your heavenly Father. That you live a life of freedom and joy, that you're free to pursue the life that a God has called you to, that you're free to pursue greatness as God defined it, not as we define it. Which is what Jesus says next. In Matthew 8, 4, the last verse that we read together, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In this moment, Jesus redefines greatness for his disciples. They were pursuing a greatness of their own making. They were pursuing position, status, acclaim, looking to their own effort to pursue their own version of greatness. But Jesus encourages, encourages them with something else. This is going to be the last point that's going to be behind me on the screen. That in the eyes of Jesus, greatness is not found in self-reliance. Greatness is found in humble dependence. Greatness is not found in self-reliance. Greatness is found in humble dependence. And I know this sounds counterintuitive in our culture. I think even the word dependence almost sounds like a dirty word. Like none of us want to be seen as dependent. We want to be seen as self-sufficient, right? And I, and I understand that. And I want you to hear me really clearly here. Here's what I'm not saying. The gospel, the gospel is not a call to apathetic laziness, all right? I'm not telling you just to check out and just never work and never just work for anything. Like I'm not saying that. The gospel is not a call to apathetic laziness, but the gospel is a call to appropriate perspective. It's a call for you to realize that at your core, we are all needy, broken people, and no amount of our own effort is ever going to change that. We are all people in need of a Savior. That's at the heart of the gospel. And the good news of the gospel is that there's a God in heaven who is good and kind, generous and loving, and he has provided a way for you to be brought back into relationship with him to receive a new position that has been secured by his effort and not by your own. A position that will not change when circumstance change. And that whenever you are brought into right relationship with God, you are made his child, which means you have his resources to depend upon now, not just your own. Which means that you don't have to claw and fight and scratch for some kind of significance because you already have it. Your heavenly father is the king of all kings, mighty in power, perfect in love. He lacks no good thing and he loves you. You need to understand that tonight, and that position should impact your pursuit. No longer do you have to chase after your own name, advancing your own kingdom, depending only on yourself, but instead, you must learn how to draw near to the Father as his dearly beloved son or daughter, to come near to him, to spend time with him, to get to know him, to know his heart. And as you do, learning to trust him, trusting in his provision for your life, trusting in his guidance, his plan, his timing, his resources, and to begin to live a life that just doesn't seek to just glorify yourself, but seeks to glorify him and be a part of advancing his kingdom. You see, God is calling us to learn how to humbly depend upon him. This should be the pursuit that we're chasing after. And the good thing is, is whenever we begin to chase after that, whenever we begin to learn how to humbly depend upon him, then we too can experience that same freedom that a well-loved child experiences. That you can realize that you don't have to earn value, significance, greatness, or love, but that you can realize that you already have it and you can live a life of freedom, that you're freed up to live the life that God has called you to. That you're freed up to live and enjoy the, the present moments. And not worry so much about the future and what's coming and figuring out all these things because you realize that your heavenly father is the one that holds the future in his hands. And you belong to him. And you can trust him. That you're freed up from the constant desire to pursue success, approval, and acclaim because you know that the king of all kings delights in you and calls you his own. He loves you. 
and he cares for you. And you don't need the approval of others because you have his approval and he delights in you. It means that you'll be freed up to live a life of generosity and that you'll give of your time, your energy, your resources, your giftings, your personality as a gift to those around you because you've come to realize that every good thing that you have, be it financial, be it personality, be it giftings, is a gift from your heavenly Father. That it's not just yours, that it's a gift given by God that's meant to be used to bless other people. And whenever you begin to think about it like that and humbly depend upon the Lord, then you can be freed up to be more generous, right? Like, think about this with me. Like, if I told you right now to go and plan a party for your friends and to buy all the food yourself, what would you do? A lot of you would probably hit up Dollar Tree and, like, get the cheapest stuff that you could find. You'd be, like, looking on the shelf, be like, Dr. Pepper, no thank you. Dr. Thunder, yes. Right? Now, imagine the same scenario that you get asked to throw a party for your friends, but this time your mom or your dad comes and hands you their credit card and says, spend whatever you want. All of a sudden... Name brand only, baby. No. Like, like, we're just going to go all out because you realize that you've been given generosity from them and they've, been, they've told you to use that generosity to bless other people and you have no problem being generous because you realize it's their resources and not your own. This is the same way that you're meant to live your life. Be generous with what's been given to you because you realize that none of it belongs to you in the first place. It's all a gift from your loving Heavenly Father and you can be freed up to be generous with all that has been given to you. Now, I want you to hear me say this, too, that whenever we grasp this, whenever we understand this, that the gospel should impact the things that we pursue, I think that it will, it will also impact our ambitions. Like, I want you to hear me say this, that the gospel is not a call to settle for a life of mediocrity. It's not. It's far from it. That whenever you grasp the truth of what we're talking about tonight, it will not make you less ambitious. It will make you more ambitious, but ambitious for the right things. And that's what I want for you. Because it means that whenever you realize that your worth, your significance, your value is not determined by your own success, that it's determined by what God has already done for you, that means that you can move into the world with a sense of confidence, that you can be creative, that you can be courageous, and you can attempt great things in this world because you realize all that has already been done for you. And so you can go for it in your career. You can go for it in your relationships, leveraging everything you have for the cause of Christ, living your life on a mission for the kingdom of God, trying to reach more people with the gospel, to be ambitious for the kingdom's cause wherever the Lord leads you because you realize that your worth, your value, your significance, and your greatness here on earth is not determined by anything that you do, but by everything that has already been done for you. The gospel, it changes everything. I don't want you to go through life in a constant pursuit of position that will do nothing but just wear you down. I want you to realize who you are in the eyes of God. And I want you to let that position change the way that you live. See, back to my story. After I kept pursuing position, status, prestige in a job, what just happened is I just kept falling up short. And I was just miserable in that season of my life. You can ask Jillian. That season was just miserable for me. And it wasn't because of the job. The job was fine. Like, I was making good money. And I had the opportunity to make more. I had flexibility in my schedule. I had the opportunity to move up in the organization by all worldly accounts. It was a good position. But it felt just wrong. It felt empty. It felt off. And so over the course of time, what I began to do is I began to surrender my desires to the Lord. I began to surrender 
my pursuits to the Lord. And I began to confess things to him and get really honest with him and talk about the things that were motivating and driving me, that they weren't good things, that they were a desire for promoting myself and finding financial security myself. And I wasn't trusting him with some of these really big, important things in my life. And I was beginning to put more value on what other people said about me than what he said about me. So I began to get really real with God about that. And I began to learn how to trust him more fully, trust what he says of me rather than looking to what others said of me. And what I saw in that season is over the course of time, God began to give me freedom from the wrong kind of pursuits. And this wasn't just like a one prayer and done kind of thing. This was over the course of time, and it was a long road. But that road, it led me right here. It led me right here. And I wouldn't change anything about it. So much has changed about my pursuits, my motivations, the things that I chase after because of my exposure to the gospel. And what God has done in my life, I'm no longer chasing that status, success, or position. Now I just want to be, I genuinely can stand up here and tell you that all I want is to be faithful at what God's called me to do. That's all I want. That I want to love you well. I want to lead you well. I want to be a part of mobilizing this generation to take their place in the mission of God. I believe that's what God has placed me here to do. And I want to do that as faithfully as I possibly can, regardless of what it means for my status. Regardless of what it means for my prestige. That doesn't matter to me anymore. I just want to... Do the things that God has called me to. Listen, I'm not pointing to myself as like the pillar example. I'm pointing to myself as somebody who did this wrong and who, by the grace of God, saw God redeem even my pursuits. And I'm here to tell you that I'm experiencing so much more freedom, so much more joy now than I ever have in my entire life. And I want that for you. I want you to evaluate what you're pursuing. I want you to allow the gospel to shape everything about who you are. Because there's some of you in this room who are going to be called to do incredible things in the workplace. They're going to be called to do incredible things in the realms of business, medicine, education, engineering, you name it. And I want you to go for it. I want you to pursue those things. I want you to do incredible things in whatever God calls you to. There's some of you in this room who will be called to a life of faithfulness in some form of ministry, be it in a church context, in a missionary context. And I want you to go for it. I want you to share the gospel with boldness. And I want you to be a part of equipping the next generation to take their place in the mission of God. But wherever God calls you, be it in the workplace, be it in some form of ministry, be it in the family, I want you to know that your pursuit should never be an attempt to earn value, prominence, or greatness. I want you to realize that you already have that through the gospel of Jesus. You already have it. And I want, that allow that, I want you to allow that truth to change the way that you live, to change the direction of your pursuits. And in everything, humbly depend upon the Lord, draw near to him, and live your life for his kingdom's cause. That's what I want for you. That is where true freedom lies. I want you to allow the gospel to change your pursuits. 